Good morning. It's great to see you. It's great to see a bunch of kids going out to do children's worship. Uh, we continue in Genesis today, Genesis chapter 1 this morning. So I hope you have your Bibles with you because we're going to look quite a bit here at these verses. If you've got one handy, go ahead and hold it up throughout Genesis. We started this last week. Throughout Genesis, we are going to declare together our humility to the authority of the Word of God. So hold them up high if you would. Don't be... There we go. There we go. I see a few iPads, a few tablets, a few iPhones. If you've got your phone uh, Bible ready, go ahead. Get it up there because we want to declare together that we are under this. (laughs) I mean that. Physically, in our hearts, we are under this. So let's declare this together. This is the written word of God. It is the story of a gracious God who reveals himself to a sinful world. It is the story of his creation and its purpose. It is my story. So this morning, I give myself wholeheartedly to hear from God and his word that I might be in tune with his purposes. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father in heaven, indeed, we want to be about your purposes. We want to be people who are in tune with what you want for us, in tune with the reasons that you created us. And so we study your word. Because you know that in it, we know that in it you have revealed to us who you are and why we exist. And we, Lord, want to be a part of your purposes. And we want to see ourselves afresh in your economy, in your way of operating in the world. And so we humbly ask for your spirit to fill us, to give us clarity, so that we would read and intuit your purposes for our lives today. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. If you'll recall from last week, uh, if you were with us last week, I began by asking this question. I asked you to go on a little uh, philosophical, mental, gymnastics kind of journey with me uh, for a few minutes last week. And I began by asking this question. What does it mean, what does it mean to say that something exists. What does it mean to say something exists? And if you'll remember, I took this chair. I took this chair, and we asked the question, what does it mean for this chair to exist? What does it mean for us to say that this chair exists? Does it exist because I can see it and touch it? I could even hear it, and if we were going to, we could actually taste it and and we could smell it. Does it exist because I can measure it and there is empirical evidence that this chair exists? Is it because it has material properties, material qualities, cellular structure that we can say that this chair exists? And of course, on one level, the answer is yes. We can say it exists because it has those material properties. And we have thousands of years of scientific evidence and inquiry uh, to validate that the properties of existence at least includes 
that this has structure and cells and, and protons, electrons, neutrons, all those kinds of trons that, that make up what this is physically. But, but, as we also noted last week, the ancient Near Eastern world of Genesis did not quite think the same way as we do about existence. Sure, they obviously knew. They obviously knew that that something existed if it had matter to it. We know that, you know, if, if they could touch it and they could see it, they knew that it existed because it had matter. But they did not believe that that was the most important factor. What makes this chair a chair is that it functions the way the creator of the chair intended for it to function. That is, that I can sit in it and it holds me. Now it's a chair. Before, when it was metal and and pieces of fabric and foam just kind of maybe laying around, not put together, it wasn't a chair. Now, it's a chair. That's the concept for our approach to Genesis 1 that I want us to continue to bear in mind because that is exactly what is meant by that word create in verse 1. If you've got your Bibles, look at verse 1 there for a second. Verse 1, it says, in the beginning, God created, there's that word, created the heavens and the earth. That is exactly the kind of concept here when I talked about putting together that metal and that fabric to create this chair, to make this chair. Where it says, in the beginning, God created, that's what it means. It means, if you're taking notes, this is our big idea today. This is the big thing we're going to stress today. It means that God took the disordered stuff, the disordered material, and he gave it purpose. Just like taking the meaningless parts of metal and fabric and foam of that chair and making them into something meaningful. That's what we see here in Genesis. And it's all over these verses. Look at verse 2. It says, The earth was without form and void. Now, before God created in this way, before he gave the earth function and purpose, it was a wasteland. That's what's being described here. It uses the words formless or without form and void, empty. But it wasn't just empty of matter. The most important thing that Genesis is telling us that is, is that it was empty of a purpose. Those two words, formless and void, are cool Hebrew words, tohu and bohu. There's a rhyme to this. It's tohu and bohu, formless and empty. What it's saying is the earth was uninhabitable. Now, please note that this isn't just a void of, of material as if there was just nothingness there. In fact, the text just spoke about the earth as if it were an entity of some type. It says the earth, uh, verse 2, the earth was without form and void. There was some stuff there. It talks about the deep and the waters. That's matter. There was matter there already, but it was without a direction and without a purpose. So it isn't just a void of stuff, a void of material properties, 
Most importantly, for us to read Genesis 1, we have to understand that it's a void of purpose. Stuff without meaning. Stuff without a direction. That's what we see in the opening verses here of Genesis. You see, Genesis 1 is not not talking about God making matter. There are other parts of Scripture that talk about that, that talk about creation from nothing. But not here. This isn't about God making matter. This, and this is the important point for us to take to heart, it's about making matter matter. Isn't that the most important question in our lives? Is the stuff of the earth, is our body, is our resource, all these things that make up who we are as as people, is that stuff going to matter? You see, God's not focusing on making material stuff here because Genesis assumes that God has already made that. No, this here is about giving matter purpose. It's about bringing disorder into order. It's about bringing order out of disorder. More specifically, it's about organizing everything that is around the goodness of God. We'll see that word good throughout the first chapter here in Genesis. It's about forming the earth around his purpose. Creation isn't just about making something. It's about making something that does what it's created to do for his purpose. It's about us becoming the kind of people who reflect his goodness and his character and his nature in ways that are in step with who he is. That's what Genesis is about. All of our questions, all of our concerns about uh, times of things, (laughs) and, and does science fit with Genesis 1? Frankly, they all miss the point. They all miss the point. This is about bringing order out of disorder. It's about the cosmos, this earth, and your life being around, centered around the goodness of creation by undoing the effects of sin and chaos. Let's start again in verse 1 here for just a second. We're going to note a couple things, and then we'll move into verse 3 through 13 to talk about the first three days. Uh, Verse 1 here, it says, In the beginning... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You see, verse 1 is an introduction to everything that's going to follow. If you're taking notes, that's a good one to write down. This is an introduction, a large-scale introduction of everything that follows. It's the first of two bookends. This is verse 1. It's the first of two bookends that contain all of God's work of creation. The second bookend, the end of it coming in chapter 2, verse 1. If you want to turn over there, you see that. That phrase repeated in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, Thus, in this manner, in this way, the heavens and the earth were finished. So the the bookends of God's work of creating are 1-1 through 2-1. So verse 2, moving on to verse 2, whereas whereas 1, verse 1, spoke of the truth that God made the entire cosmos, everything that is, uh, verse 2 narrows the focus to the earth. It says the earth was without form and void. As we said, it was uninhabitable wasteland and darkness 
was over the face of the deep. Darkness and this watery deep are additional elements that describe the oceans as sort of scary places where, where unknown beasts live. Uh, th- this kind of language is meant to describe the idea that what going, what's going on here is a sort of disordered chaos. A sort of disordered chaos is, is what happened before God gets to it. It's a parallel for our lives. And I hope that you begin to see Genesis like that for yourself. That you put yourself in this story. That God's a God who brings order out of the chaos and sinful messed upness of our lives. So it says this, the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is a picture of the anticipation of what God is about to do in giving order and giving purpose to this creation. That same word here for hovering is used in Deuteronomy 32 to describe an eagle that's fluttering over its young like a nurturing mother that's waiting to tend the nest. The Spirit of God is sort of hovering over the waters, ready to do something, ready, ready to make order out of this chaos that existed then. So this scene is set here for days one to three. Chaos, disorder, sort of just uninhabitable stuff sitting there unused when God's Spirit goes to work. Verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. All he had to do was speak. There was no strain, no effort. He just, he just spoke. Genesis here is conveying that God has absolutely every ounce of power and might in the whole universe, and it is contained even in his very words. Even in his speech, that might and power is held in a way that, in a moment, speaking creates worlds. That's what it's intended to convey here. Verse 3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. So here, his speech creates, in a sense, light. And because he made it, and because it reflects his goodness, he says that it's, it's good. But note, for us, it's important to note what he does with that light. He gives it purpose and he gives it function. He doesn't just make it. He gives it a purpose and a function. He separates light from dark to make the first day. Look at the process. The process is described in verse 5. It says, God called the light day. He gave it a name. And the darkness he called night. Now, now, Now think about this for a second. This may seem elementary, but I think it's an important point that will help us. God calls the light 
day. Why doesn't he call the light light? Because he's not naming a physical material structure. He's not creating just light. He's creating a period of light called day. He called the light day. He's not just creating light. He's creating a period of time called the first day. So day one is not just about creating light. I know you've heard that from day one in VBS. God created light, day one. Next. (laughs) He's not just creating light in and of itself. But Genesis is primarily telling us that God is giving light a function and a purpose. He takes this light and he uses it as the basis for time. He's making time in day one. One commentator says it this way. Time is the first of the functions that God will use to bring order to the chaos of the cosmos. The orderly and regular sequence of time is written in the fabric of creation. It's part of how he enables us to participate in his work of making the world and continuing to make the world after his own character and nature. I want you to see here that what is going on is that God is taking chaotic stuff and giving it purpose. This isn't just about making matter, but about making matter matter. So he's taking light and he's giving us time. We'll see this in days two and uh, three also. Look at day two, verses six to eight here. It says this, And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. Verse eight, And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. For just a moment, I want us to focus on this word expanse mostly here. This word expanse occurs 17 times in the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament, 17 times, and nine of them are here in this one chapter. Now, this word expanse in the uh, ancient Near Eastern world, in in Genesis day, uh, where they didn't have... Uh, modern scientific instruments and categories like us. They did, though, have a science, in a sense. They had a way of knowing, and uh, if you're ready for a nerdy big word, their way of knowing, their science was phenomenological. Phenomenological. P-H-E-N-O-M-E-N-O, logical. (laughs) If you were following that and wrote that down, well done. Um, They described their way of knowing the world described the phenomena of the world as they saw them happen with their eyes, as, the, as best they could with their empirical evidence. So, that with that as background, this word here for expanse is a technical word that they used to describe that place, that expanse. It's rakia. If you're taking notes, it's rakia, R-A-Q-I-A. That's that word for expanse. 
And the rakia describes what they thought was a solid dome in the sky. They, they, they looked up and they thought, well, it must be a solid dome. Everybody knew what the rakia was. So for them, they would say, there's the rakia and it is blue. There's a blue rakia. It's right there. We can all see it. It's all that blue expanse between heaven and between earth. And they believed that it was a solid dome, something that was hard enough to keep up the waters. So one of the things it primarily was to do was to keep those waters in the sky until God made it come down. So verse 7, verse 7, it says, And God made the rakia and separated the waters under it from the waters above it. In other words, rivers and oceans on the earth below were separated from the rain in the clouds above by the rakia, by the expanse. So, what God is doing here is taking the expanse and the waters, and he is providing them with purpose. He is providing with purpose to hold up the waters and creating the basis for weather. That's what happens in day two, weather. If you're taking notes, we got time, we got weather. Day one, time. Day two, weather. Day three, verses 9 to 13. Follow along, it says this. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. There's that word again, good. And God said, verse 11, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. Verse 12, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the third day. Now remember, we're saying that that God's creative work isn't just a manufacturing of stuff, but it's primarily about creating order from disorder. There are two elements here in day three that are brought together. We'll see a parallelism in day six. It's not like all of a sudden, oh, he makes two things. Uh, we'll see some things in day six that, uh, that bring some focus on those, those two elements here in day three. He brings together two elements that are brought together on this day to focus on an earth designed for a purpose of producing vegetation and agriculture. Soil and water sources, on the one hand, are coming together with plants through seed, on the other, to produce the kind of environment that makes food, that makes vegetation for us to eat. So you got day one time, day two weather, day three food. I know those aren't the categories you heard in VBS on the final graph. 
But those are the things that God produces for us to meaningfully participate in what he's doing. Those are important points to remember. You see what God is doing here? And this is not just, oh, he did it, he did it in creation back then. And it's important to know where we come from. Yes, it is. But it is important to know where we come from because what he did is what he is continuing to do. He didn't just create. He is the creator. He is the one who sustains your ability to live and move and breathe. And if he didn't continue in his capacity as the sustaining creator of the universe at this very moment, all of us would cease to exist. And so for us to meaningfully participate in what he's doing as God to redeem the world to himself, to bring order out of that disorder, means for us to understand that he's given us these gifts, these ways of operating in the world, time and weather and food. Grace starts on the first three days as he gives us these things for us to meaningfully participate in what he is doing. What he's doing is he's forming all of creation in a way that manifests and makes known his goodness. Because you see, this isn't about you. And it's not about me. This is about making an environment for us where we can manifest the goodness of God. How incredibly backward we've gotten that one. Friends, what this means for, for us is that, that you and I are not just something but we are someone created for a purpose, created with a reason, created with a direction that comes from the God of the universe. So for us to meaningfully be a part, to be a part of his creation, means that we continue to participate in that that we produce goodness. That our lives could be marked by that kind of product. And so simply put, simply put, the application comes from this question. Are you using the stuff of your life to manifest God's good purposes? Are you using what God's given you to manifest his purposes. Is your story the story of Genesis 1, where he looks at you and he says, that's good. That's good. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, at moments like this, we recognize very clearly that you have created us in a particular way 
so that we would manifest your goodness and glory. And we also recognize very clearly that we turn that upside down, taking the good things you've given us and using them for ourselves, hoarding them pridefully, thinking that we got where we are by ourselves. As if the very foundation and structure of all of creation isn't held up by your very presence. And so, Father, we want to be people who listen to your Spirit correcting us, shaping us, forming us into part of your creation that reflects the goodness of your character, that we would be people marked by love, that we would be a community of faith, that we would be families of grace, that we would be friends who extend mercy, that we would be moms and dads and aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas who communicate the truth that you are a God who brings order from our sinful chaos. And so, Lord, our worship today, our worship today is about naming your glories as the God who has made our sinful stuff a redeemed purpose of giving you glory. We are so grateful for that, Lord. And we want to live our lives in, uh, in the view of that truth. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.